Gross again and be part of this great <coughs> conference. It seems like this is one of those conferences that is the ancient of days because they started having it before I was born. And uh, the fact that it has continued on consecutively for all these years lets us know, amen, that the Lord has blessed the efforts of this conference from year to year. And the crowds have been growing every year, and we thank God for it. And I walked in here and felt the presence of the Lord and saw you folks worshiping God and in spirit and in truth, some dancing in the spirit, rejoicing. I thought to myself, it almost feels like the rapture is about to take place. Yes. Amen. But uh, what we are enjoying here <clears throat> on this earth is only a taste of what is to come yet for us in the future. Hallelujah. It is worth living for the Lord. It's worth sacrificing if that is what it takes to live for God, the things of this world, because I don't think the world has anything, amen, that compares to the blessings of God, that comes anywhere to compare with the blessings of the Lord, amen. And I'm so glad to be part of the church of the living God. How about you? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Just turn around and shake someone's hand and tell them God loves you and so do I. you may be seated. <clears throat> I uh, can't afford to get past my time limit because I have a friend here that sure as anything is going to say something about it when it's over with and I'm not going to give him that pleasure. Amen. Now the Lord takes care of it. He'll have to contend with the Lord because it wouldn't be my fault. But uh, we are living in days that are very, very exciting, I think. I'm not talking about the inflationary times that we are living in. I'm not talking about the fact that crime is on the increase and Evil is becoming more rampant in the world. But I'm talking about the demonstration of the power of God and the Spirit of God in the last days of the church here on this earth. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> we have been saying for some time that God is on the verge of doing something great for the church. And we've allowed ourselves to continue to contend for whatever that verge is. And we seem to be hung up on that verge. And we haven't got off it yet. We keep consoling ourselves that God is on the verge. Amen. 
And I've been hearing that for several years. Don't you think it's about time we got off that verge and began to believe that God is? Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, uh, almost is uh, not all together. And there's nothing satisfying in the word almost. In fact, it's a word that uh, tends to uh, create a spirit of letdown, disappointment. Amen. But uh, God almost breaking loose and doing great things for us is not helping any one of us. But if we began to believe that God altogether, amen, is doing some things, then I believe we'll begin to see more things. Praise the Lord. And I believe that God wants us to be positive-minded about the church. He wants us to be positive-minded about the Word of God. He wants us to be positive about our experience. He wants us to be positive of all the teachings of the church. And rather than find fault in the church, you ought to magnify the church. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. I don't think God cares too much for the negative person that goes around all the time looking for faults in the church, in the body of Christ. I don't think God can feel any exaltation by such a person. Amen. And we're only feeding the devil. Some of us just can't make up our minds whether we want to be part of this church because we think the church has so many faults. We're just not sure whether we want to stay with it. Amen. And a lot of times we even threaten ourselves about leaving the body. But I believe that we ought to be like the Apostle Paul when he said, I know. Amen. That's positive. I know. Hallelujah. And I stand before you this afternoon and I can freely say, I know that the church that I'm part of is the church of the living God. And there's no shadow of a doubt in my mind whatsoever. Amen. I know that Acts 2.38 is a message of salvation. Praise the Lord. And I don't have any doubt about it whatsoever. Hallelujah. I don't feel double-minded about it one bit. I know that holiness has to be part of the character and the nature of the saint of God. Inside and out. Amen. And there's no doubt in my mind about that either. And I know that the rapture is going to take place before the 70th week of Daniel begins. I don't have any doubt about that in my mind either. Some of you may. Amen. Some of you just like to force yourself to believe that you want to go through that period. But that's all right, your privilege. But I don't want to go through that period. Amen. I've been through something that is a little similar to that period. And I don't want to go through that again. Amen. So I believe that God is looking for positive-minded people about 
everything that is related to his church and to his message and to his word. Amen. When you preach or you teach or you testify, let your heart be positive of what you're saying. And don't let anybody detect any hesitation on your part in relationship to what you're saying when it comes to God's program and God's church. Amen. Don't let anybody detect any double-mindedness about you and about your belief and about your thinking. And don't be like the fellow that used to get up to testify. He always said the same thing. I thank God for good health and he'd sit down. People got used to his testimony and expected him to say just that when he stood up. One day he surprised them. He got up and he said, I thank God for good health and a sound mind. And he sat down. Pretty soon he got up and he said, on second thought, scratch that last part out. <laughs> he just wasn't sure. He didn't know. Amen. Or you meet up with some folks, you know, they, well, they say, I am an atheist. He wants everybody to know that he's an atheist. And then he says, and I thank God for it. Now that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Amen. But I believe that these days we're living in our days when the church of the living God must sound, praise the Lord, a positive note to the world. A positive note about every aspect of our message. That the world will know, amen, that we are a people related to the body of Christ, established in the word of God, amen. We have the sure word of prophecy, and there's nothing, amen, unsure about our stand as far as the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned. Well, thank the Lord for another opportunity to share with you the word of God. I heard you had a wonderful service last night. Enjoyed the ministry of Brother Eddie Gwynn, and, uh, and so glad that the groundwork has been laid already for this week's services. And we're glad to share the conference and be part of this conference with Brother John Kershaw. And uh, you don't know what you got for yourselves when you got us too. Amen. You got an Arab and you got a Persian. And the twain don't mix. <laughs> they just blend together like the ten-toed kingdom of iron and clay. <laughs> He's the clay, I'm the iron, but don't tell him I said that. <laughs> oh, my Lord, why don't you tell me that? It's supposed to stay the message, not my introductory comments 
but we went to high school together in Jerusalem and the school closed up after we left now that's a truth that's right I showed by the Cox school didn't I would you believe it our paths parted and we were gravitated together again in Bible school and when we left the Bible school closed up <laughs> that's right the Bible school in Tulsa Oklahoma closed up amen now we are in the church And the church is going to be translated. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't know what will happen when we're through here. All right, you have your Bibles with you. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. We are going to discuss this afternoon the subject topic, This Generation this generation the 24th chapter of the gospel of Matthew <clears throat> it's a, a, a long chapter so I will not endeavor to read all of it and I want you to follow me beginning with verse 30 if you will And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of nowhere, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as is in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Do not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Amen. Back to verse 34. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled amen shall we pray our heavenly father we are so thankful for 
your blessings that make rich and you add no sorrows to them. We appreciate, Lord, the privilege of being in this conference and feeling your presence and your spirit. We pray, Lord, that your divine will will be done in these afternoon Bible study sessions, uh, in the services tonight, in the morning sessions. Uh, let your favor rest upon this conference, we pray. Demonstrate your power, O oh Lord. Hallelujah, as you see fit, in response to the needs of men and women that are here daily and nightly in these services. Now we pray that you'll help us minister your word the hearts of these people, of this people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, and for thy glory, amen, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The uh, discourse of uh, Jesus in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew was related to uh, future events, events that were going to take place prior to his return to this earth. Not prior to the rapture of the church, but prior to his return to this earth. And in the course of his address, one who was standing there and listening to him posed this question to him. And he said, Master, what shall be the sign of thy coming? Amen. Now, in the contents of the 24th chapter of this Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about a lot of things that are going to come to pass. Several events and several incidents that are going to transpire. Amen. These incidents can be divided perhaps in several divisions. First of all, they are sociological events. And when we talk about sociological events, we talk about the days of Noah that he described. The days of Noah were not limited just to eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. So that's all we knew about the days of Noah. We would never be able to convince anybody outside the church that the events of the days of Noah are significant in relationship to the coming of the Lord. Because we will get an answer from the man in the street who will tell us there's always been eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. He could go back to the days of the Babylonian Empire, amen, when they ate and drank excessively. He could uh, continue on through the Grecian Empire establishing Alexander the Great as a typical example of an intemperate person who was a great glutton and drank excessively and abused his body. He could continue on through the days of the Roman Empire when uh, all restrictions were taken away and man lived so loosely during that period of time and they lived just to eat and drink and involve themselves, amen, in promiscuous behavior, 
as well as uh, pleasure mad. And uh, we can talk about, uh, praise the Lord, the years of the 20s in this country. Amen. So this is not all that significant if we just limited the days of Noah to eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. But the days of Noah were far more evil than just a matter of eating and drinking, marrying or giving in marriage. Sin became so rampant on the face of the earth during the days of Noah that God actually saw that the pollution of sin had covered the earth. And the Bible significantly says that the thoughts and the imaginations of men were continually evil. Can you imagine what that statement means and how profound it is? It simply means that from the moment that the individual awakened from his sleep in the morning, the first thought that came to his mind and the first imagination his mind imagined was evil. And then all day long, all of the thoughts that he had and all of his imaginations until the time that he laid his head down, amen, to sleep were continually evil. That there was no right thinking in the minds of the people in the days of Noah. That there was no right uh, uh, behaving, uh, praise the Lord. No right activities, uh, but everything tended to wickedness and evil until the world um, was actually polluted and contaminated by the spirit of evil. So that when Jesus uses, amen, the event of the days of Noah, he simply says that the day will come when there'll be days that will match those and equal those of the days of Noah, when the thoughts and imaginations of people everywhere will be continually evil. That there'll be no righteousness on this earth, and no right living, and no right thinking on the part, praise the Lord, of the dwellers of this earth. Amen. That's a sociological sign that deals with the society, if you please. International conflict, distress among nations, uh, he mentioned, hallelujah. That's a sociological sign uh, which keeps the societies of the world uh, in a state of constant upheaval and conflict uh, until the world today is reaching a point uh, in their hearts and minds uh, and screaming out, Please, bring us some peace. We are sick and tired of wars and conflict, amen, and strife. We'd like to have some peace on the face of this earth. Hallelujah. Then we have political signs, the political events that Jesus talked about. These relate, amen, to the beginning of the formation of the last Gentile power 
that it's symbolized to us by the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in the ten toes of iron and clay. This is the only part of the image that has not been fulfilled as yet. And since the image is symbolic of the times of the Gentiles from their beginning to their ending, and from the top of the head of this image to the feet, the times of the Gentiles, uh, praise the Lord, uh, have been fulfilled. Amen. And all we have is that little short period of time that is left. In the fulfillment of the ten-toed kingdom. And Jesus was talking about political events that were going to take place on the face of this earth prior to his return to this earth. And we are seeing now visible in the world before us uh, the beginning of the formation uh, of this ten-toed kingdom. Amen. You mean to tell me we are actually living in a time when the wheels of prophecy have picked up now and the fulfillment of the ten-toed kingdom has begun its process? That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Hallelujah. You see, sometimes... Uh, we interpret Bible prophecy, amen, with a, 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 a misconceived a, a thinking on our part. We think that God has to provide us the whole itself before we can actually believe it's happening. But God never at any time shared truth with man by giving all of it to him at one time. But it has been in part. Amen. Line upon line. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. And then the Bible says, here a little and there a little. So that God gives truth in part until these parts will in time fit together to make up the whole. Amen. Now, we, we, we have to uh, 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 believe that in order for us to understand how God fulfills Bible prophecy. Now, we don't wait, amen, until God actually produces or brings into being a ten-toed kingdom overnight. So let us know that this prophecy is being fulfilled. But he starts it out. Amen. And gradually, in part, here and there, until it develops into the fullness, hallelujah, of its context for the purpose of God to be realized in a prophecy like this. So that we are living in a day when the ten-toed kingdom is already being formed. It is not going to take over the influence of the world until after the church has been translated. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to work towards, hallelujah, the a realization of such a kingdom. And so on, a political sign that we see today in the world is the beginning of the formation of the Tentone Kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I'm totally convinced that the European common market is, amen, the uh, 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 framework 
of the ten nation kingdom that is going to make up the final Gentile power on this earth. The reason I'm so convinced about it because of a dialogue I had with the executive secretary of the European common market himself. And everything he told me about this uh, community of nations uh, correlated with Bible scriptures. Amen. Praise the Lord. And their plans are in time to extend their influence to the ends of the world. Amen. Not only do we have the uh, beginning of the formation of the European, uh, the Tentote Kingdom in the form of the European common market, but we also have the revival of the nation of Israel. Amen. And for the past three decades, that revival began and it has continued on. Amen. Until gradually God is bringing the Jewish nation to a time, hallelujah, and to a place when he's going to deal with them in a spiritual sense rather than in a natural sense to bring about their restoration. So we see that happening before us. And we have the revival of Gog and Magog and the rise of Gog and Magog. And there's no doubt in our minds that Gog and Magog is represented by what we know today as a country from the north part, Soviet Russia and its satellites. Amen. And they are, are, are correlate with the scriptures, uh, praise the Lord, point by point. And we see the rise of Gog and Magog in preparation for their invasion of the land of Israel. We attended last November a closed uh, meeting in the city of Jerusalem of 400 representatives of Jewish people all over the world. And Mr. Begin was going to address this group of people. And we were invited to be part of this group. Only four of us that were Gentiles and the rest of them were all Jews. Amen. And when he came in, a tired old man, and he addressed the delegation that was present in the Hebrew language for about 35 minutes. Then he switched to the English language because of our benefit, because they had told him that we were present there. Amen. We were acknowledged and had to stand up before all of those Jews and they gave us a good uh, hand of applause uh, 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 as such. And in the process of that address, he made this statement. We are not concerned about our Arab neighbors. That is not where our fear is from. We whipped them three times and we can whip them again. Amen. So it's not the Arab neighbors that we are concerned with and they are not the threat hallelujah that we are concerned about but they said our threat amen is from Gog and Magog and he used these words Gog and Magog he said soon now Gog and Magog amen will prepare themselves to make their march towards our land to invade our land. Amen. And we are going to have 
to depend upon our own strength because the world is not going to rise up and help us. And he didn't realize how truthful his words were. Amen. Because gradually all of the allies of the Jewish people are drawing away from them. And America is going to be the last country to draw away from them. But America soon now will draw away. In fact, the drawing process has already begun in this country. Because the sympathy of many Americans in high places has switched, hallelujah, overnight. Instead of being towards the Jewish state of Israel, now towards the Middle East, the Arab countries. Amen. And even our president, for the first time in the history of this country, did something that no other president before him had succeeded in doing. He actually, praise God, broke for the first time the lobbying power of the Jewish people in this country. And he won a resounding victory, amen, in a decision that was made to sell the AWACS to Saudi Arabia. With all of the pressure that was placed on him by prominent Jewish leaders, amen, and by those that were sympathetic to the Jewish cause, he was able to sway them enough and to convince them enough they needed to send AWACS uh, to Saudi Arabia. You know why? He used the Bible for his argument. Amen. This is a little excerpt that appeared in the Portland, Oregon paper from the Associated Press and it reads like this President Reagan interprets the Bible as saying that if Armageddon starts in the Middle East then Russia is going to become involved in it a senator said after meeting with the president Friday Senator Hal Heflin Democrat from Alabama said he and Reagan took up the subject while discussing Reagan's proposed sale of radar warning planes to Saudi Arabia. Well, we were talking about the fact that the Middle East, according to the Bible, would be the place where Armageddon would start. And the president was talking to me about Scripture. And I was talking a little bit about Scripture myself, Heflin said. And we got off, and he interprets the Bible as if in Armageddon, then Russia is going to become involved in it. In the book of Revelation, Armageddon is the site of the last battle, the forces of good and evil before the day of judgment. Can you imagine? He went to the Bible, and he searched in the Bible until he found the word Armageddon. He continued his search in the scriptures until he came to the 30th chapter of the book of Ezekiel and he connected these two together and used the scriptures for his appraisal uh, argument uh, in favor of making the sale to Saudi Arabia and by this argument he was able to convince a majority to sanction the sale amen so that the rise of Russia is right before us here then we have physical signs that Jesus talked about. These events relate to this earth and relate to space. Famine, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. He talked about this. 
in the heavens. He talked about the disturbances in the sun. He talked about the disturbances in the satellites. He talked about the disturbances in the moon. Amen. Now, all of these things that Jesus was talking about, he was relating to the time that will be prior to his return to this earth. But somehow none of these were actually the sign that Jesus, amen, wanted to impress upon the minds of these disciples in response to the question that was asked of him. Now when he answered the question, he did not answer it directly. All he said, amen, be not deceived. And then he began to talk about all of these things that were going to happen. But when he got down almost to the end of his discourse, then he said something that established in the minds of the Jews because he emphasized and made it distinct, praise the Lord, and specific, and he wanted their minds to be alerted to it, hallelujah, and he wanted them, praise the Lord, to at all times think about it and look for it. In all of these others, he didn't say, look now for earthquakes in diverse places, or look now, amen, when you see nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. No, not even false prophets and false teachers and even messiahs that come in the name of Christ. Hallelujah. He wasn't trying to teach him anything from these events. But somebody had asked him, what shall be the sign of your coming? And he wanted him to know that these things that he was talking about were really not the specific sign that would point to his soon coming. And now he gets down, amen, to this part of his discourse, and he stops and he says, Now learn a parable from the fig tree. Amen. Now learn a parable from the fig tree. When that fig tree puts forth its tender branches, its tender uh, branches, and the leaves appear on those branches, know ye that summer is nigh. Amen. And immediately after that, he said, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Now, he didn't say anything about the fruit of the tree. He didn't say anything about the budding of the fig tree. And a lot of times, you know, we preach and uh, we teach and we say, the budding of the fig tree, or the fig tree has budded, when we talk about the fig tree in relationship to the Jewish people. But the scriptures don't say anything about the budding of the fig tree. When the state of Israel was formed in 1948, I heard that over and over and over again. Amen. From ministers and from laity. Praise the Lord. The fig tree has budded. In that a nation was born. Amen. A nation was not born. 
A nation was never born in 1948. Hallelujah. The fig tree did not bud whatsoever. Amen. Because there's nothing said about the budding of a fig tree, if you please. Hallelujah. And as far as God is concerned, and as far as the Orthodox Jew is concerned, that believes in the literal interpretation of the writings of the prophets, there is no such thing as a state of Israel. There is no such thing as a state of Israel. They do not recognize it as a state as yet. They do not believe, praise the Lord, that it is time for the state of Israel to become an independent state because it's not in Bible prophecy. Not at this time. Amen. What happened is that the Zionist movement, by their influence, were able to develop, praise the Lord, the state of Israel, and it's being run now by Zionism, and Zionism is not a race of people. Zionism is a political system. Amen. It has nothing to do with the race itself. And I know some of you are looking at me shocked that I would say something like this. Amen. But, you know, you just don't jump to some events that happen and say that's Bible prophecy because you're so anxious to see Bible prophecy fulfilled. And we have massacred Bible prophecy by our impulsiveness and by our impetuousness and by our excitement, amen, to want to reach out and believe that some things that are happening in our world, hallelujah, are Bible prophecy. Amen. And every time we have some kind of a figure of a man appear on a scene of time, right away in our impulsiveness, we want to make him the Antichrist. That's right. Amen. And every time we see some kind of a move going on in our world, right away, praise the Lord, we're going to tag it as Bible prophecy. And then it's such a letdown for people when they find out what we told them is not so. We got all excited about what has been, uh, what became known as a Jupiter effect. Some folks paid Five ninety-five or six ninety-five for the book, the Jupiter Effect. It became a platform of preaching. Amen. Everybody was scaring everybody that in 1982 the solar planets were going to align themselves in a near-perfect alignment, and when that happens, the end of the world is going to come. Some folks prayed through over that, which helped that way anyway. Amen. Praise the Lord. The sun was going to have spots on it. And when that happens, amen, we were going to have uh, electric storms. And electric storms are going to cut out all means of communication. If all means of communication was cut out, amen, my, my, I wouldn't be able to gossip on the telephone or talk to anybody. Because my telephone would be out of order. The Jupiter effect. And the Jupiter effect was nothing but a lie. It was a lie. They made money selling that book, and now the book has been scrapped, like so many other books, on the heap pile to be burned. Amen. 
Not long ago, another book came out. And even uh, without being critical, don't misunderstand me, uh, but I just want to show you the impulsiveness sometimes that is in our ranks. Even uh, our bookstore in St. Louis brought it to the Prophecy Conference in Little Rock, Arkansas. And they were uh, 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 pushing it. A book entitled When Your Money Fails. How many heard about that book? A lot of you own it. Amen. You paid, uh, you paid about $5.95 on a discount rate for it. While Mrs. Roth made a pile of money. But that's another book that is going on the heap pile. Because that woman, everything she had in that book was hearsay. She never did any research herself on it. I could tell you exactly where she picked a lot of her information from her friend in Oklahoma City, somebody by the name of Dr. Weber, a Baptist minister. And he is the greatest speculator on Bible prophecy ever seen. Amen. That's right. And then in that book, she, all, she prophesied that Anwar Sadat was going to be the Antichrist. And the props were not from under her when they assassinated Anwar Sadat. And that was the end of the Antichrist. His life was short-lived on this earth. When we consider the state of Israel, it's not formed on the basis of Bible prophecy. Hallelujah. Because the Bible says that this people will remain without a king and without a prince and without an effort. Amen. And, and without the Urim and the Thummim. Without a national status. And they are not to be reckoned. Which means in a Hebrew language, they are not to be recognized by the nations of the world until such time when they return and seek my face and repent before me. We'll continue on until God himself, hallelujah, brings about the restoration of their national status and gives them the uh, land of Canaan for their inheritance. But the Jew has always tried to get ahead of God. And many times he has lagged behind God. But it's rare that he walked with God. Now I'm not saying that because I don't like the Jew. I'm saying it because the Bible says it. They have been the most stiff-necked, rebellious people. And don't get all excited about the Jews, amen. And get all excited about them being the people of God. The people that you look around you now and see as Jews, these are not true Jews. The Apostle Paul a long time ago said everybody that claims to be a man, a Jew, is not a Jew. There's only a small remnant of the almost seven and a half million Jews that live in the world, both in Israel, the United States, and scattered in some other countries. A very small remnant that are really true Jews. And did you know that of all of these million Jews, only a small remnant are going to be saved? 
So don't get all glamorized and excited uh, and feel so humble in the presence of a man that says, I am a Jew, and he doesn't believe that there's a God in the heavens. Now, I'm not trying to be a hard preacher here. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just trying to let you know how it is and that the Bible, praise the Lord, doesn't deal in speculation nor does it deal in fantasies, but it's a real book. And everything the Bible says has to come to pass according to the way the Bible says it and not according to the way that we are excited about it. Hallelujah. So that the state of Israel is going to be dissolved before long. The city of Jerusalem is going to be taken away from them. It is going to be trodden by the Gentiles again, amen, for 42 months yet before the race that is really related to Abraham himself, amen, is going to be humiliated and be humbled to look up into the heavens and see Jesus Christ as their Messiah and acknowledge him as such. I'm not sure whether Brother Cox was with me on this trip or not, but I want to give you just a little comparison here, amen, of one Jew to another to give you an idea, praise the Lord, uh, uh, just uh, uh, how to uh, 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 summarize this race in your thinking as a Christian. Amen. We were standing by the wailing wall outside the uh, fence where the uh, area that was considered sacred uh, is fenced in. And I was with a group of ministers and uh, they were asking questions. What are they doing by the wailing wall? This was on a Sabbath. Thousands of Jews were clustered on that wailing wall praying. Amen. And they were wondering, what, what are they doing there? Why do they go through all these contortions uh, and these motions? And believe me, some of them put us many costs of shame sometimes in the emotional demonstration they have. And you can stand right under their nose and look at them and they don't even know you exist. They continue going through their motions. Amen. But if you stand real close to one of them that appears to be religious to you and listen very carefully, all you'll hear is a lot of mumbling and vain repetitions. You can't actually understand a word they're saying unless you practically get your ear within an inch of his lips. And all you hear is mumbling sounds. They're going like that all the time. And they're looking around, you know, and just repeating. Vain repetition. Amen. Then there are others of them that are actually standing by the wall and they are reading, amen, with heartfelt reading spirit. They know what they are reading and it's touching them. You stand long enough there, pretty soon you'll see tears running down their bearded faces. They finish their prayers. They write something on a piece of paper. They wad it up. They stick it in a crack in the wall. That's a prayer request. Amen. So I was telling these ministering brethren, I said, now they're, they're praying. Some of them are just mumbling things, going through the motions. Amen. They, they don't even feel a thing. Their heart is not in it. 
They're just going through the motions like the scribe and the Pharisee in the temple. But others are really praying to Jehovah God. Amen. When they finish praying, they put three requests on that little piece of paper. The first request is for the restoration of their land. The second request is for the restoration of their national status. These are people who don't believe that the state of Israel is Bible prophecy. The third request is a restoration of their temple and the return of their Messiah. Amen. And they put it in the wall. Now I told them, I said, now, as they come out, we're going to talk to some of them and we'll try to talk to two different factions that profess to be Jews here by the Wailing Wall and let them respond to the questions I asked them. And I waited because I can discern some of those Jews. I've lived with them for a long time and learned enough about them to be able to sift a little bit among them. Here come a group of Jews uh, dressed in black with black hats and, and uh, some of them were bearded. They were of the younger generation. And uh, as they came out of that fenced area, I stepped out and uh, uh, met them and I uh, agreed them in the Hebrew language and I talked to them. I said, we are from America and uh, uh, we just are curious to know what you folks are doing by the Wailing Wall. And one of them became the spokesman. He said, well, we're praying. I said, what are you praying for? Well, we're praying for uh, the restoration of our land. We're praying for the restoration of our uh, national status. And we're praying for our Messiah. And I said, uh, uh, that's good. I said, uh, where, where is your Messiah coming from? Uh, who is your Messiah? And uh, another one spoke up and said, why, uh, our Messiah is coming from this earth. He's going to be a highly intelligent man. He's going to be a great humanitarian. He's going to be very educated. He's going to have a lot of wisdom. He's going to be very persuasive. And he's going to be a lover of peace. I said, uh, did you say he's coming from this earth? He said, yes. I said, you mean he's just going to be uh, another man? Well, he said, not really another man, but he is going to be above the average. He's going to be highly intelligent. He's going to be very educated. He's going to be very wise. He's going to be a humanitarian. He's going to love people, and he's going to love peace. And through his persuasive powers, He's going to be able to bring peace to this world. Amen. I turned around to the brethren. I said, what this man is saying is that the Messiah he's looking for is a man of this earth. And that his powers are related, praise the Lord, to his natural abilities. And there's nothing divine related to him. Amen. They walked away and we waited a little while longer. And then here come a group of rabbis and they were a little older, more sober looking. And somehow I was drawn to them and I felt that they were very orthodox Jews. And they were very sincere. Amen. So I stopped them and I greeted them. 
and I spoke to them in the Hebrew, and I said, uh, we are tourists, and we are curious to know what you are doing by the Wailing Wall. And they said, this is our most sacred shrine here, the most sacred shrine in the state of Israel. And we come here every uh, uh, Shabbat, and we pray here. I said, what do you pray for? He went through the same answers that the others did. And then I said, you are looking for the Messiah? And they said, yes. And I said, uh, where is the Messiah coming from? And they looked up, amen, and one of them raised a hand that started trembling a little bit. And he says, from Hashemayim. Otherwise, he said, from heaven. Our Messiah is coming down to us from heaven. Amen. You see the difference? One group are actually looking for the Antichrist, and another group are looking for the Christ. Amen. That's the difference, you see. All right, so Jesus then, when talking about all of these things that were going to happen, his answer was not related to any one of them, in relationship to the question that was asked of him until he got down to the place where he stopped and then he got the attention of his listeners and he says, Now learn a parable from the fig tree. Now we know that the fig tree is symbolic of the Jewish race, the Jewish nation. Amen. It has been time and time again uh, related to the Jewish people. And for years, the fig tree has been dry and fruitless and has had no life in it whatsoever. Ever since the Jews rejected the possession of the land of Canaan and their kingdom was divided by the Lord and they were dispersed to the four corners of the earth, the fig tree dried up and the fig tree no more produced fruit whatsoever. And all these years, hallelujah, that fig tree has remained dry. And it's been dead, just like the heap of bones that Ezekiel saw in the valley. Amen. But now that fig tree was not meant to remain dead. That fig tree was not meant to remain dry and fruitless. And now Jesus, in his discourse, is saying, in answer to the question that was asked of him, what shall be the sign of your coming? Hallelujah. And he said, now learn a parable from the fig tree. Amen. And when that fig tree begins to put forth its tender branches, that means all these years that fig tree has remained dry and dead and fruitless, but the day will come when that fig tree will start putting forth its tender branches uh, and the leaves will appear on that fig tree, then you know that summer is nigh. Now here again, we equate summer with the closing days of harvest and fruit gathering. The prophet Jeremiah, way back there in his wailing, praise the Lord, cry in the 8th chapter of Jeremiah looking at his people and seeing them in their unsaved, undone condition. He wailed out, The harvest is past, 
and the summer is ended and we are not saved. So when we talk about summertime, when Jesus was talking about summertime, we equate, praise the Lord, summertime with the end of something, amen. With the end, praise the Lord, of a generation, or a dispensation, or what have you. Because the end of summer brings also the end of the harvest and the gathering. And Jesus said, when that tree puts forth its tender branches and leaves begin to appear, know ye that summer is nigh. Well, it's strange that he wouldn't talk about the fruit of the fig. He didn't talk about the budding of the fig tree. Well, he talked about the branches. He talked about the leaves. And the reason he said that is because, you see, the budding and the fruit bearing had already taken place. Because in the fig tree, which is a very unique tree from all other fruit trees, while other fruit trees, the first thing that you see in early spring or in the beginning of spring, that dried up tree that has weathered uh, 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 winter time and has weathered, praise the Lord, uh, uh, the dryness, amen, of the season, all of a sudden begins to put forth some tender branches. And then leaves begin to appear on the branches and the fruit and the budding praise the Lord takes place after that and the fruit and then the process of the ripening of the fruit. But with a fig tree it's exactly the opposite. The fig tree will bud first. It will put forth its fruit first. And in the process of the ripening of the fruit the branches begin to appear and the leaves uh, appear on those branches to cover that fruit until harvest season, the harvesting of the figs. So that Jesus Christ was actually talking about the last process, a man of growth on the part of the fig tree. And he says, know ye that summer is nigh. That means when you see those branches shooting forth and you see the leaves appearing, then it's time for harvest time. And it's time of the end. Amen. Now, at what stage in the history of this race of people did the fig tree began to put forth its branches and the tender leaves began to appear? Amen. Up till the early part of the 20th century, the Jewish people were still a dispersed people. They had no homeland to go to. They had nowhere, praise the Lord, that they could summon uh, uh, their uh, 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 brethren to come together to call a place where they could live together as uh, a people. They were a homeless people. They were aliens and strangers uh, in countries underneath the heel of Gentile powers. Amen. They were subject to uh, persecution uh, and they were subject, praise the Lord, to torment. And this is all part of the judgment of God upon them because God meant for them to be tormented and God meant for them to be persecuted as a result of their lack of faith in him to possess the land of Canaan because God has been forced to delay his program as a result of the rebellion of this people in fulfilling the covenant that he made with Abraham. And he feels so embarrassed in relationship to Abraham because Abraham 
has already fulfilled his part of the covenant way back there. And God feels so embarrassed because he has not as yet fulfilled his part of the covenant to the man Abraham. And the only reason God is clinging to this race of people, not because there's anything good about them, not because there's anything beautiful about their spirit, not because they are serving him, not because they're examples, praise all, reflecting the graces of Jehovah and the attributes of Jehovah, but because he bound himself to a man by the name of Abraham. And he said, the covenant that I make with you is an everlasting covenant. And God feels embarrassed even now, amen, towards Abraham because he has not fulfilled the contents of that covenant as a result of the rebellious seed of this man. Amen. While Abraham fulfilled his. But in the year of 1916, something happened that was to open up, praise the Lord, the wheels or, or begin the wheels of prophecy in relationship to the revival of the nation of Israel and perhaps to serve as a beginning of something. Amen. That would attract the world and continue to attract the world and continue to dominate the news media until such time as the purpose of God would be completed. Great Britain was at war with Germany and the war had dragged on for some time and Great Britain needed some explosive amen to use in order to win the war it had come to their knowledge that a young Jewish scientist by the name of Chaim Wiseman had been working on a formula that related to a high explosive and that he had actually completed that formula. Amen. And in need, praise the Lord, of such an explosive, the Secretary of the War, by the name of Lord Balfour, was delegated to visit this young Jewish scientist who lived in London and tried to bargain with him and buy that formula from him. So he came to Mr. Wiseman and he offered him great sums of money if he would sell them the formula that they needed so desperately. Mr. Wiseman turned their monetary offer down. He said, I'm not interested in any money, but I'll tell you what I'm interested in. And I will release my formula on this one condition. When at such time Great Britain occupies a land of Palestine that they will provide a homeland for my people from all parts of the world. And on the premise of that request a declaration was signed that became known as the Balfour Declaration. England committed itself to Mr. Wiseman to do just what he asked them to do. 
as payment for the formula for this high explosive that became known later as TNT. Amen. But it wasn't until 1918 that England succeeded in occupying the land of Palestine. And they remembered the declaration that was made between Lord Balfour and Mr. Wiseman. And on the basis of that declaration, Great Britain began to work towards the provision of a homeland in the land of Palestine for Jews that were scattered to the four corners of the earth. Amen. And the first thing that they did after they occupied Palestine in 1918 was open the gates of this country for mass immigration of Jews to come from different parts of the world, hallelujah, to the land of Palestine. And they came from everywhere. They came by the thousands. And they began to occupy land in the land of Palestine. It caused such a state of panic among the Arabs that a delegation of Arabs, praise the Lord, was dispatched to the British government. And they demanded that the immigration be stopped of Jewish people because they were flooding the country and they were occupying land, amen, that belonged to the Arabs. And it was a matter of time before they could squeeze the Arabs out of that country and take over. Hallelujah. But they didn't realize that they were actually fighting against the God of Abraham in this matter. Because here again, we are talking about truth in part now in relationship to the revival of Israel and not the whole. Amen. So Great Britain sort of toned down and they began to now establish a quota of so many Jews a year which was satisfactory to the Arabs instead of just opening the gates of Palestine wide open without any restraint for Jews to just flood in. Amen. And after this mass immigration, whereas the population of the Jews in Palestine was approximately 155,000, it jumped up to 750,000 in one year's time. That many Jews came in the country. Hallelujah. Now, somehow in my own thinking, I have to believe that that fig tree that has been dry all these years, and that fig tree that has been fruitless all of these years, because as far as a Jew was concerned, he was an ostracized individual. He was a hated individual. Everybody despised the Jew, and everybody suspected the Jew. And wherever the Jew lived, praise the Lord, he suffered extreme, hallelujah, discrimination, and he suffered persecution, and he suffered torture and torment from the people that lived around him in that country that were Gentiles. And you hardly heard about the Jew. 
Whenever you heard about a Jew, it was either a tailor or a merchant or a scrap metal collector. But you didn't hear about them as a nation, as a race of people. Praise the Lord. You didn't hear anything, hallelujah, about the excitement they created. Whenever somebody talked to you about a Jew way back there for somebody that lived in the uh, early 20s, he always talked about, you know, that uh, 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 tailor over here in the corner, that Jew, uh, Mr. Rubenstein, or, or, or that uh, junk man over here that collects junk, that Jew over there, or a storekeeper, a haberdashery storekeeper, but the news were not affected by these Jews here and there and yon. You never heard anybody writing about them in the newspapers, or you heard any news about them in the radio. Amen. So that there was nothing really that excited anybody as far as a Jew was concerned. And even we that lived in the land of Palestine, praise the Lord, or rather my folks and others, Amen, because I wasn't born then. They, there was nothing exciting about even the little, a few Jews that lived in Israel or in the land of Palestine then. They didn't make the news, amen, anywhere in the world. Perhaps once in a while they'd find the body of a Jew on the sidewalk and it would merit a small excerpt in the papers hidden somewhere. But no headlines no excitement among the nations of the world. But in 1918, when the first immigration, mass immigration began into the land of Palestine, the news media picked that up. And from then on, the Jews became part of the news. And little by little, until our day today, now they dominate the news media. And when we talk about Vietnam, and we talk about Korea, and we talk about El Salvador, and we talk about Cuba, we don't talk about them in terms of being a powder keg, that if the match was lit and the fuse was lit, it's going to blow this world up. Amen. We don't talk about these areas of the world where there has been conflicts as threatening a world holocaust. But every time we think about the Middle East situation, whether it's a politician, whether it's a, 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 an educator, a scientist, or a theologian, or a preacher, when they talk about the Middle East, uh, amen, they talk in terms of the Middle East being a threat to a world holocaust, to the Armageddon of the world. Amen. So that the fruit is not involved here, but the branch is. All right, so if the fig tree then was the sign that Jesus Christ emphasized at this time, is it possible that the fig tree putting forth its branches and the leaves appearing on them would also be the beginning of the generation that Jesus Christ was talking about when he said, this generation shall not pass away till all these things come to pass. And is it possible 
and that in 1918 was actually the date that began the generation that Jesus Christ was talking about. And that generation, praise the Lord, has been uh, 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 current even in our day. Because you see, a generation is not as the world of Christianity has amen, advocated it. A period of years somewhere between 38 years and 42 years. According to the Jewish manuscripts, a generation is equal to the lifespan of a human being that God has instituted on this earth. So that the lifespan of a human is three score and ten years. And the lifespan of a generation, a human generation, is seventy years also. Amen. Can it be that the fig tree actually began to shoot forth its tender branches and the leaves began to appear beginning the generation that Jesus Christ was talking about and that this generation that we are part of is part of the generation that Jesus Christ talked about. That it actually began Amen. In the revival of the Jewish people, when the gates of Palestine were opened for them for the first time, and the promises of Isaiah and Jeremiah, when they cried out, and it shall come to pass in the last days, hallelujah, that I will send forth my hand to gather the dispersed of Judah and the scattered of Israel from the four points, uh, from the four corners of the world and bring them back to my homeland, to their homeland. Amen. Is it possible that God has stretched forth his hand beginning the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 11 and the prophecy of Jeremiah in chapter 23 in the gathering of the dispersed and the scattered of Judah and Israel? And it began in 1918. That's the first historic record we have of a mass immigration of Jews from different parts of the world, all headed towards the land of Palestine. Amen. And if a generation, in the words of Jesus, was to continue for 70 years, is it possible, praise the Lord, that we are living now in the last years of this generation? And if we figured from 1918 plus 70 years, amen, we have 1988. According to the calendar we go by, which is a very inaccurate calendar. But the year of the Jew today is not 1982 as we figure it, amen. But counting from the days of Adam, and they consider the calendar, amen, without any break of the transition from B.C. to A.D. as a result of the birth of Christ, because they do not recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah himself, so that they figure their years from the Genesis record, and they deal with thousands instead of hundreds, so that the record, the praise the Lord of the Jewish calendar, amen, is actually 6,004 years. 
and not if we were to count the 4,000 years from Adam to Christ 5,982 and yet we have made a thrilling discovery not long ago that the Jews themselves have made in their own records whereas at one time amen they had accounted only for a loss of eight years and four months amen now they are accounting to a loss of 12 years and four months lost years that they cannot account for and they believe that this loss of years uh, happened somehow in the transition from bc time to ad time and they cannot account for it so that actually in their consideration of their calendar it is not really six thousand and four but it's a subtraction of twelve years and four months and that perhaps brings us down to a year amen of five thousand nine hundred and uh, ninety one and uh, four months amen so that actually the generation then that we are talking about in order for it to be completed according to the Jewish calendar which I say is still inaccurate even that calendar is inaccurate but it's the closest praise the Lord calendar to the, the timetable of uh, God's word much closer than that of the Gregorian calendar is it possible that we only have actually eight years and four months left to the completion of the generation that Jesus Christ was talking about that could have started in 1918 and has been going on ever since amen and that in the course of the balance of this generation all of these events that Jesus Christ was talking about in his discourse in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew the sociological signs that relate to the days of Noah and the days of Solomon and Gomorrah international conflict racial uh, conflict the uh, uh, political signs that relate to the formation of the last Gentile power amen the ten federated nations uh, uh, the rise of Russia and the revival of Israel hallelujah uh, the uh, 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 physical signs uh, that relate to uh, the disturbances of the uh, uh, planetary system and then uh, disturbances on this earth as well is it possible praise the Lord that we're living in the days uh, amen of the conclusion of this generation uh, that at some time or another between now and its conclusion uh, the next great event that the church uh, is looking forward to is the translation hallelujah and the rapture of the church amen and that immediately following that praise the Lord all these things uh, that Jesus talked about uh, in the 24th chapter of the gospel of Matthew are going to begin to happen uh, in rapid sequence that the victory actually has started forth its leaves and the branches have appeared on the fig and that summer is nigh he didn't say summer is ended he said summer is nigh that means the beginning of summer has started and it's just a matter of time before the harvest will take place and when the harvest is passed and the summer is ended and you're not saved 
It's over with. It's over with. Hallelujah. Out there in the state of Israel, they're going to be dedicating a temple any time now. Inside the temple is a chamber that is not open to the public. This chamber is closed. Will not be opened until its use is activated. You can see as you walk in that chamber, plays a marble slab that looks like a table. And at the end of that marble slab is a drainage system. Amen. And it's here that they're going to cut the sacrifices. And the blood of the sacrifice will drain through a drainage system. Because the sacrifices will begin in that temple. I asked the rabbi, I said, Rabbi, when are the sacrifices going to begin? And when are you going to offer them? Very soberly, he said, we wait. I said, what are you going to wait on? He came back stronger. Amen. And most sober, he said, we wait. And again, I pressed him for a specific answer. I said, wait on what? And the third time, he came more firm, and he said, we wait. And it was final. We wait. He doesn't know himself when, but they're waiting. What could they be waiting on, folks? If you were to search the scriptures to find any indication of any kind in the Bible that says there's going to come a day in the history of the Jew when the sacrifices will be revived and the oblations will be revived, where would you find such a scripture? In what book, in what part of the Bible, in the New Testament canon, in the Old Testament canon, where would you find a scripture that would indicate that a day is coming when the sacrifices, offerings, and the oblations will be revived among the Jews? Amen. It's not in the New Testament, because the New Testament talks about the New Covenant. It has to be somewhere in the Old Testament. It has to be related to the word covenant. Because sacrifices and oblations are part of the Old Covenant. Is that right? It's part of the Old Covenant. Hallelujah. And somehow, when we come to the prophetic book that deals more than any other book with the welfare and the well-being of the Jew in their latter days, we have to search in the pages of the writings of the book of Daniel. And as we read from chapter 1, and we start out reading that book in the Aramaic language, amen. Chapter 2 all of a sudden switches from the Aramaic to the Hebrew. And then it continues in the Hebrew language, hallelujah, until it covers chapter 7, and eight and nine and then somewhere in these latter chapters we come across some scriptures and say and he and he will establish a covenant 
with his people at the beginning of the week at the beginning of the week who is this he it's none other than the antichrist it's the antichrist that's going to make a covenant with a jew it's the antichrist that's going to revive their sacrifice and their oblation for them it's the antichrist that's going to give them the go-ahead sign amen to revive the old covenant praise of sacrificial offerings it's the antichrist that is going to be accepted by these blind jews amen to think that he's actually their messiah it's for the antichrist that they have built this temple out there which is not even on the original site of solomon's temple because by the confession of this rabbi himself he said this temple is prepared not for the messiah but for the counter messiah the counter messiah the imposter messiah the counterfeit messiah that's what he's telling me amen and i wanted to find out from him friend rabbi when you dedicate this temple and it's completed it's finished amen and you start services in this temple are you going to also begin your sacrifices in it that's what i wanted to find out and he didn't know but he said we wait we wait we wait my lord folks i'm trying to say this is it possible that we are living in a generation that jesus christ emphasized as this generation and we only have a few more years left from this generation that unexpectedly unexpectedly and suddenly the rapture of the church will take place so swiftly and so rapidly faster than a blink of an eyelash and the church will be gone in a moment in a twinkling of an eye not within 24 hours or within four weeks or a month but in a twinkling of an eye the whole thing is over with the church is gone praise the lord and in just a little more speedier time but not much the forerunner of the antichrist will make his announcement for the first time introducing the antichrist to the world and since the bible says that he will confirm the covenant with the jew in the beginning of that week and that week is seven years but there's no time loss here whatsoever as soon as he makes his appearance he establishes a covenant 